In February 2002, athletes from 77 countries gathered in Salt Lake City, Utah for the 19th Winter Olympics. During the opening ceremonies, ice skaters carried flags honoring the previous 18 host cities. The crowd applauded for locations like Lake Placid, New York, St. Moritz, Switzerland, Oslo, Norway, and more. But when the Salt Lake City flag entered the stadium, spectators erupted into earth-shaking cheers. For many Salt Lake City residents, hosting the Olympics was a lifelong dream, 30 years in the making. After decades of unsuccessful bids, they'd finally earn the chance to host the Winter Games. City officials hoped this would catapult their city to global stardom, turning it into a booming tourist destination. As their flag triumphantly paraded through the crowd, it was not hard to be filled with a sense of hometown pride. However, Tom Welch, the man responsible for bringing the Winter Games to Salt Lake City, was conspicuously absent. Instead of celebrating, he was facing 15 counts of fraud, conspiracy, and racketeering. The U.S. government claimed Welch ran a sophisticated campaign of corruption spanning the globe. He'd spent hundreds of thousands of dollars bribing dozens of Olympic officials just to bring the games to Utah. It appeared that Salt Lake City didn't earn the Olympics at all. They'd bought them. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our first of two one-part episodes on the more nefarious side of the Olympic Games. Today, we're exploring the Salt Lake City scandal. In 1995, the city won the bid to host the 2002 Winter Olympics, but some claim the process was rigged from the start. In this episode, we'll cover the history of the modern Olympics. For decades, cities have shouldered the political and financial burden of hosting the Games. But once the 1984 Summer Games in Los Angeles generated a profit, many cities fought to host and boost their own economies. Then we'll dive into the conspiracy theories surrounding the Olympic bid process. Salt Lake City was accused of paying millions in bribes to host the 2002 Winter Games. But investigations suggested they weren't the only ones skirting the law to win. In fact, this culture of corruption may be condoned, even encouraged, by the highest levels of the Olympic organization. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. 
With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. So if your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened. I'm okay. Other people have it worse. It doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd start to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. The Olympic Games date back to ancient Greece nearly 3,000 years ago. Every four years, starting in 776 BCE, Greek city-states like Athens, Sparta, and Thebes sent their greatest athletes to the site of Olympia. To honor the Greek god Zeus, these competitors clashed in contests of strength, skill, and endurance. It was a tradition that endured for almost 1,200 years. The festival continued even after Greece was conquered by the Romans in 146 BCE. However, in 393 CE, the Roman Emperor Theodosius continued his effort to make Christianity the primary religion of the Roman Empire. He banned the Olympics because he considered it a pagan festival. The games were confined to the history books for 1,500 years. By the 1800s, Greece had become the subject of another formidable empire, the Ottomans. But they launched a war, declaring their independence in 1821. Before the century was over, there would be a concerted international effort to reinstate the Olympic Games. Inspired by the earlier games in Greece, a French aristocrat named Pierre Baron de Coubertin formed the International Olympic Committee, or IOC, in 1894. Instead of it being just for the Greeks, he envisioned an event that included athletes from the entire world. For the first time in history, the Olympics became a global phenomenon. 
Every four years, Olympians of various nations and creeds join together to compete in contests of strength, speed, and skill. The IOC hoped that this would build a better, more unified world. The best of these athletes won bronze, silver, and gold medals. However, all were expected to embody the Olympian values of excellence, friendship, and respect. Of course, this was easier said than done. Despite the lofty goals of the IOC, the Olympics weren't always successful at bringing the world together. Amidst the chaos of World War I, the 1916 games were canceled. Britain, Germany, Russia, America, and many other nations refused to put their differences aside for the competition. Besides, their best athletes were needed on the battlefield. Then, during World War II, they were canceled twice, once in 1940 and again in 1944. The vicious fighting was considered more important than any athletic competition. But the IOC faced more challenges in the 1970s and 1980s. That's when they became a flashpoint of political violence. In 1972, the Summer Olympics in Munich, Germany were marred by a horrific terrorist attack. Affiliates of a Palestinian terrorist group stormed the Olympic Village. They killed two Israeli athletes and took nine others hostage. After hours of negotiation, the terrorists demanded transportation to Munich airport and a plane to fly them to Cairo, Egypt. When they arrived at the airport, a shootout ensued between the police and the hostage takers. Several terrorists, all nine Israeli athletes, and one German police officer were killed. Still, it wasn't the last time the Olympics became the epicenter of a political crisis. After the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan in 1979, the United States announced their boycott of the 1980 Olympics, which were being held in Moscow. America's absence was a calculated diplomatic blow. Several countries like China, the Philippines, and Canada followed America's lead, boycotting the games as well. The tension continued when, in 1984, the Olympics were held in Los Angeles, California. That year, the Soviet Union accused the U.S. of whipping up anti-Soviet hysteria and boycotted the games in return. Other communist states, such as Cuba and Vietnam, also refused to attend. It was an attempt to shame America on the world stage. The Olympics were a new battleground for the Cold War. Not only were the Olympics a political burden, they were an economic one as well. If a city wanted to host the Games, they had to form an Olympic bid committee. This organization was made up of local politicians, business executives, and athletes. They spent years petitioning the International Olympic Committee. These bid committees created presentations laying out why they'd be the best choice to host the Games. These proposals often included spending millions of taxpayer dollars on stadiums, public transportation, and housing for athletes. Committees submitted their applications to the IOC years in advance. For example, Los Angeles submitted their bid for the 1984 Summer Games back in 1978. Often, these plans were made without input from a city's residents, and sometimes the voters fought back. 
1970, Denver, Colorado won a bid to host the 1976 Winter Olympics. Their committee claimed that hosting the Games would only cost $30 million. Supposedly, most of it was privately funded. But Denver residents soon realized that figure was grossly underestimated. Critics of the Denver Olympics estimated that the Games were going to cost around $110 million, 80 million more than initially quoted. And if the committee went over budget, the taxpayers would likely pay the difference. In 1972, Colorado voters pushed back. They passed a referendum that forbade the city from using public funds to prepare for the Olympics. Without that money, hosting them became impossible. This made Denver the first city in history to reject the Olympics. The International Olympic Committee moved the Games to Innsbruck, Austria instead. While this was an embarrassment for Denver, the voters may have been right. The Olympics could have devastated their city financially, seeing as it had before. The 1960 Olympics in Squaw Valley, California, were estimated to cost taxpayers $1 million. It ended up costing them $13.5 million, or more than $120 million today. Similarly, when Montreal hosted the Summer Olympics in 1976, it left the city $1.5 billion in debt. Much of that was spent on constructing a stadium the locals now call the Big O, O-W-E. The city made their last payment on that debt over 30 years later in 2009. These massive construction projects are usually paid for by increased taxes on citizens. Montreal paid for the Big O primarily by adding a special tax on tobacco. In the decades since the Olympics, they've tried to put the stadium to use by hosting a slew of sporting events, but it's not nearly enough to justify its cost. Montreal wasn't an isolated incident either. All over the world, former Olympic facilities were abandoned. Ski jumps and bobsled courses were left to rot in the elements following the 1984 Winter Olympics in what was then known as Yugoslavia. It's worth pointing out, though, that not all venues go to waste. Some Olympic arenas, like the Centennial Olympic Stadium in Atlanta, are rebranded for local sporting events. In London, housing for Olympic athletes was turned into apartments. Although the costs of cleaning, repairing, and maintaining these facilities do become a drain on public resources, the Olympics were an event that cost money years after the Games had ended. However, all of that changed after the Summer Olympics in 1984. Instead of taxpayers' dollars, the Los Angeles Bid Committee shifted financing to depend on TV deals and corporate sponsorships. For the first time, Olympic organizers made exclusive agreements with advertisers. For instance, General Motors paid millions to be the only automaker with commercials at the event. While many criticized this strategy, it quite literally paid off. The 1984 Games didn't leave Los Angeles in debt. The city actually made $233 million. That's over a half a billion dollars today. For the first time, hosting the Olympics was a profitable endeavor. Which is precisely when the competition between cities grew fierce. 
Not only would your own town be immortalized on the world stage, but it could walk away with a windfall to boot. One of the most aggressive competitors was Salt Lake City's Olympic Organizing Committee, or the SLOC. They hoped that not only would hosting the Winter Games be profitable, but it could establish their city as a vibrant winter tourist destination. On paper, Salt Lake City was a strong contender. It already had several arenas and facilities within an hour drive of the city center, meaning they wouldn't have to build many more. The airport was only a 15-minute drive from the city, so Olympic tourists wouldn't have daunting commutes to hotels or events. And unlike many winter sport towns, they had a relatively robust infrastructure. Salt Lake could easily handle the influx of thousands of Olympic spectators and athletes. But the SLOC was unable to win a bid despite decades of trying. In 1991, they lost to the Japanese city of Nagano by only four IOC votes. Nagano didn't have as many facilities as Salt Lake City, nor did it have a transportation system that could handle the Olympic crowds. The decision baffled many. For the next bid cycle, the SLOC decided to woo Olympic voters by treating them like royalty. Their hospitality went above and beyond the norm. They invited many IOC members to come to Salt Lake City and tour their facilities in person. The committee sent them first-class plane tickets and put them up in luxurious hotels. IOC members found their hotel rooms filled with expensive champagne and wine, which was surprising considering Salt Lake City's deep ties to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which forbids alcohol consumption. In fact, the region had a number of extremely confusing and complex alcohol regulations. But the SLOC assured the IOC that if they won the Olympics, they would make some changes. They were seemingly willing to tweak certain laws if it meant winning the bid. The schmoozing apparently paid off. In 1995, the International Olympic Committee awarded the 2002 Winter Games to Salt Lake City. But as preparations began, questions arose about improper relationships between the SLOC and IOC members. Allegedly, these visiting officials received way more than luxury hotel rooms and expensive wine. Coming up, we investigate the Olympics' culture of corruption. Imagine living with a secret so big that if anyone ever found out, it would change everything. Imagine carrying that secret with you every day, desperate to one day get it off your chest. Do you think you could take a secret like that to the grave? I'm Estefania Hageman, host of the new podcast series, Deathbed Confessions, the show where we dive deep into the most explosive things people have admitted to while drawing their last breath. From murder, fake identities, heists, illicit affairs, and even top government secrets. This season on Deathbed Confessions, we investigate cases like Frank Thorogood, the construction worker who claimed that the drowning of Rolling Stones founder Brian Jones was no accident. Margaret Gibson, a silent film actress who, while dying of a heart attack, confessed to one of the most famous unsolved crimes in Hollywood history. And ex-CIA officer Howard Hunt, who on his deathbed 
confessed to playing a role in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Deathbed Confessions is a Spotify original from Parcast, airing episodes weekly starting July 21st. Follow and listen to Deathbed Confessions for free on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least, not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of bug it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. And with over 95 years of experience, it's no wonder they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Now, back to the story. In 1995, Salt Lake City's Olympic Organizing Committee finally brought the Winter Olympics to Utah. They hoped this opportunity would turn their town into a global tourist destination. Salt Lake City was a prime location for the Winter Games. It had all the facilities and infrastructure needed to host the prestigious event. But... One local reporter found evidence suggesting there was a darker side to this victory. This leads us to conspiracy theory number one. The SLOC won the 2002 Winter Games by spending millions on bribes. In 1998, Chris Van Oker was a reporter at a local Salt Lake City television station called KTVX. Around this time, he received an unexpected piece of mail, a draft letter addressed to a young woman named Sonia Esomba. Miss Esomba was from the African country of Cameroon and attended the American University in Washington, D.C. She was also a recipient of a scholarship program run by Salt Lake Olympic officials. In this letter, the committee informed Ms. Asomba that her scholarship was being terminated due to, quote, the current budget structure. She was to receive a final payment for over $10,000, and then her financial aid would end. The letter was dated soon after Utah had won the bid for the 2002 Winter Games. Van Oker found it especially strange that the SLOC ended the scholarship program so abruptly. Not to mention why they'd been paying Miss Asomba in the first place. He went directly to the committee for answers. The SLOC's communications director offered to give an interview with KTVX. He assured Van Oker that this relationship wasn't improper at all. The organization launched the small scholarship program to provide educational opportunities to students from developing nations like Cameroon. It was a charitable initiative. But when Van Oker looked closer, that story didn't check out. Miss Esomba wasn't from a family that struggled financially. Her father, René Esomba, was a successful surgeon in Cameroon. He was also a voting member of the International Olympic Committee. Van Oker didn't think this was a coincidence. 
He suspected that the SLOC may have given Ms. Asomba a scholarship to influence her father's IOC vote. In other words, this was a bribe. On November 24, 1998, KTVX aired a segment about the Asomba letter. Van Oker shared his findings and suggested the public should know how much the SLOC had spent on Ms. Asomba and why. The publicity all but forced the SLOC to release some of their records. They revealed that the scholarship fund had spent over $400,000 on 13 people. Some were students from regions with few resources who wanted a better education, but nearly half of them were children of other IOC members. This launched a flurry of investigations into the SLOC's dealings. The president of the IOC, Juan Antonio Samaranch, announced an internal commission to examine the situation. The United States Olympic Committee formed its own independent team of examiners. The U.S. Justice Department also assigned a task force to the scandal. Apparently, these scholarships were just the tip of the iceberg. The SLOC had spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on all sorts of different gifts to IOC members. This illicit campaign started in 1991, conveniently just after Salt Lake City had lost their bid to Nagano, Japan by only four votes. That's when the SLOC's chief executive officer, Tom Welch, sent a memo to his staff. He told them to develop and maintain vote-influencing relationships with International Olympic Committee members. They were also told to reach out to key people in the Olympic family. A key person was anyone they believed could influence an IOC voter, such as the individual's friends and family. And the way they reached out to them was with cold, hard cash. Investigators found that since 1991, the SLOC had made direct payments to several children of IOC members. Some of these were through the scholarship program, while others were direct checks or cash. This included over $110,000 to the son of a voter from the African country, formerly known as Swaziland. They also sent tens of thousands by direct payment to Zema Gadir, the daughter of an IOC member named Zain El Abdin Ahmed Abdel Gadir. However, after doing some more digging, investigators found that Zema Gadir didn't actually exist. They noted that the alleged daughter's name was suspiciously close to Zain's initials, nearly an acronym, meaning that money likely went into Zain's own pocket. Some of the SLOC's methods were more sophisticated than just direct payments. John Kim, the adult son of an IOC member from South Korea, was offered a paid internship at a company called Keystone Communications. Investigators found that not only did the SLOC reimburse Keystone for his salary, the job also was a move to get Kim permanent U.S. residency. The SLOC also hired several independent contractors to sway voters. These people supposedly made introductions between the committee and IOC members. But many believe they were actually fixers who promised to deliver votes for a price. They may have funneled committee money through dummy bank accounts and paid bribes to IOC voters. 
But the most improper relationship was between the CEO of the SLOC, Tom Welch, and a man named Jean-Claude Ganga. Mr. Ganga was an IOC member from the Republic of the Congo. Investigators found that Welch and Ganga formed a company together. On paper, it bought and sold real estate in Utah, but in reality, it seems it was a shell company used to funnel at least $60,000 to Mr. Ganga. He also received $70,000 in direct payments for reasons the SLOC was unable to explain. On top of that, the committee paid for Ganga and his family to fly to Utah from the Republic of the Congo for various medical treatments. From a knee replacement to hepatitis treatment, all of it was paid for by the SLOC. All in all, Mr. Gonga received upwards of $320,000 in cash and gifts from the committee. As investigations continued, another trend became disturbingly clear. Almost no effort was made to keep these bribes a secret within the organization. Everyone at the SLOC knew that payments were being made to IOC members in exchange for votes. These bribes were a significant portion of the committee's $16 million budget. While the total figures are fuzzy, it's likely that over $1 million was spent on bribes. Once everything came to light, the leaders of the SLOC resigned. Then the International Olympic Committee held an emergency session in Switzerland. They voted to expel six members involved in the scheme, Four others resigned from the committee in disgrace. It was the first time in history that the IOC removed members for corruption. In the United States, Tom Welch and another official, David Johnson, faced 15 felony counts of fraud, conspiracy, and racketeering. The IOC investigators recommended dozens of new reforms to prevent such a scandal from happening again. These recommendations included prohibiting bid cities from conducting international assistance programs and restricting travel to potential host cities. They also suggested that Olympic committees make their financial records public. The IOC was advised to hire an independent firm that would annually audit those records to discourage any more creative accounting. Some people even lobbied so far as to have Salt Lake City stripped of the Olympics but these efforts were quickly quashed. The Olympic Committee was determined to move past the scandal. In 2002, the Winter Games were still held in Salt Lake City, and they generated a whopping $100 million in profit. Most considered them to be an overwhelming success. The next year, in 2003, Tom Welch and David Johnson were acquitted of all charges in federal court. While the payments had been unseemly and embarrassing, apparently they weren't criminal. On the surface, the United States Foreign Corrupt Practices Act of 1977 should have applied to the games, which makes it illegal for Americans to pay foreign officials in exchange for certain business considerations. The problem was, the law only applied to specific entities like governments and legally defined public international organizations. The IOC was neither. In Welch's ruling, the judge said, quote, I have never seen a criminal case brought to trial that was so devoid of criminal intent or evil purpose, end quote. 
The SLOC was privately funded by corporate sponsorship, which meant public funds hadn't been used to make those bribes. In fact, Welch and Johnson's actions had actually helped the state of Utah by bringing in $100 million of revenue. The judge believed that the real scandal was how much money the government wasted prosecuting the two men. In the eyes of Salt Lake City residents, they were heroes. The fact is the SLOC did provide gifts to members of the IOC in an effort to exert influence. Not only did they wire hundreds of thousands of dollars, they paid college tuition for voters' children and sponsored their green cards. At the same time, their actions weren't illegal. In court, Tom Welch and David Johnson's defense was that no crime had been committed, and the judge agreed. That's true. We should also consider the fact that Salt Lake City won the 2002 Winter Olympics by nearly 40 votes. It's possible they would have won the bid even without the gifts. Even so, given the evidence, it seems the SLOC even considered what they were doing as bribery. So on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the most believable, I give this a 9. I'm giving this a 10. The SLOC scandal is a textbook example of corruption. Even if no one was held criminally liable, they paid to influence the voters of the International Olympic Committee, and it undermined the values the Olympics are supposed to represent. The most frustrating part is that one of the investigators, former Senator George Mitchell, didn't think the payments were even necessary. He believed that the SLOC did not have to, quote, stoop to the level of this improper and inappropriate conduct. But Tom Welch and David Johnson disagreed. During their trial, they made a shocking admission. They weren't the first city to behave this way with IOC officials. According to them, their only real crime was getting caught. Coming up, the trail of corruption leads to the former president of the IOC. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Now back to the story. In 1999, the world learned that Salt Lake City's Olympic Committee was rife with bribery and corruption. They'd given scholarships to IOC members' children, direct payments to its members. They even helped one person fraudulently apply for a green card. While several IOC members were expelled from the organization, these bribes ultimately weren't considered criminal by a U.S. federal court. However, 
Salt Lake City's actions were a blight on the Olympics' reputation of excellence, friendship, and respect. Although some claim that this behavior wasn't an anomaly. Which brings us to conspiracy theory number two. Every city since the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles has bribed the IOC to host the Games. When Los Angeles earned $233 million in profit from the Olympics, it proved that hosting the Games wasn't just good publicity, it could revitalize the city's economy. With the stakes that high, some cities were willing to fight dirty. The SLOC's campaign to buy the Olympics came after they lost to Nagano, Japan. Salt Lake believed their city was far more suited to host the Games. But some claim that the IOC was reluctant to vote for an American city because Atlanta, Georgia was hosting the Summer Games in 1996. The International Olympic Committee wanted the Games to be a global, unifying event. If America held both events in a row, they might seem more powerful than other countries. It would further politicize the Games. But others claim the reason was more nefarious. The committee had been paid for choosing Nagano. It seemed to be common knowledge amongst bid committees that Nagano had outspent the competition. One member of the SLOC claimed that, quote, while we were giving out saltwater taffy and cowboy hats, they were giving out computers. Investigators looked into this claim to see if it had merit. They found that, like Salt Lake City, Nagano had flown IOC members first class to tour the facilities, but that trip was far more extravagant than what the Americans planned. 62 out of 103 IOC members and their families were flown to Nagano. They were put up in a luxurious hot spring resort and showered in gifts. Then, in 1991, all the members of the International Olympic Committee traveled to Birmingham, England to vote on the location of the 1998 Winter Games. Before the meeting took place, Nagano sent a troupe of 1,000 dancers and acrobats to dazzle the committee in Birmingham. A celebrity chef prepared a lavish meal of expensive sushi carried in on miniature boats, all washed down with expensive sake. Another massive force behind Nagano's campaign was a businessman named Yoshiaki Tsutsumi. He was a tycoon who owned many railroads and ski resorts throughout Japan. If Nagano won the bid, he would undoubtedly benefit from the necessary facilities and infrastructure. To do his part, Tsutsumi raised millions of dollars to help the IOC build an Olympic museum in Switzerland. But his office claimed that the timing of this donation had nothing to do with Nagano's bid. He maintained that he and other Japanese corporations donated nearly $20 million to the project shortly before they voted as sheer coincidence. Publicly, Nagano said they spent $18 million in their Winter Olympic bid. About 40% came from public funds, but investigators estimated the number was more like $66 million. Although we may never know the real number, shortly after Nagano won the bid, their committee burned over 90 volumes of financial records. When investigators demanded to know why this information was destroyed, the former vice secretary general of the committee said only, quote, I didn't want the IOC members to be uncomfortable. 
Nagano wasn't the only one with a questionable relationship to Olympic voters. An audit found that the Committee for Sydney, Australia had paid for several IOC members to attend sporting events all over the world. One IOC voter from Denmark was gifted a trip to the French Open, while an Irish IOC delegate was given an all-expenses-paid trip to London's Wimbledon tennis final. The Sydney Committee also paid two contractors over $100,000 to travel the world, lobbying IOC members on their behalf. Whether they were used to launder direct cash payments is unknown. The most alarming evidence was found in the files of the Atlanta Bid Committee. To win the 1996 Summer Olympic Bid, their committee compiled extensive dossiers on IOC members. These secret files reportedly included notes like, quote, will sell his vote and will do so openly. Gift of female, okay. His wife is influential with him. Gift for his wife may be useful. And lives in a palace. Did accept two ladies from Barcelona. Atlanta also gave thousands of dollars in cash to IOC members, three of which might have actually been illegal. They potentially violated U.S. trade embargoes to Cuba and Libya, meaning U.S. organizers weren't allowed to send money or goods to those countries. In addition, two Atlanta officials flew to Jamaica, splitting thousands of dollars of cash between them to avoid declaring it to customs. This money was then deposited into an IOC delegate's business account. The Atlanta committee was unable to offer plausible explanations about their behavior. Investigators assumed the obvious. These payments had to be bribes. There's ample evidence proving that Olympic committees worldwide used extravagant gifts to sway IOC voters. It appeared many even built it into their strategies. People like Salt Lake City's Tom Welch believed in order to be competitive, you had to engage in this culture of corruption. Cities that refused didn't stand a chance. Not only did committees engage in this behavior, but it appeared an entire economic system evolved around it. The SLOC and the Sydney Committee both hired contractors whose primary job was lobbying voters. And while these actions apparently weren't illegal under current laws, many committees still felt the need to destroy the evidence. Well, to me, it's clear that this culture of corruption wasn't just in Salt Lake. I give this theory an 8 out of 10. I also give this theory an 8 out of 10. In the Olympic community, this behavior was an open secret, but it's unclear how much the IOC leadership knew about it. Which brings us to conspiracy theory number three. The president of the International Olympic Committee didn't just know about this corruption, he encouraged it. After the Salt Lake City scandal broke in 1998, IOC President Juan Antonio Samaranch called for an emergency session. The committee voted to eject six members for corruption. Samaranch then adopted a new code of ethics for IOC members. But some thought this was political theater. Outwardly, it appeared the Olympic Committee was taking a firm stance against corruption. But behind the scenes, they seemed to know what was going on. Former Senator George Mitchell was an outspoken critic. 
He chaired a five-person panel tasked with investigating any irregularities within the Olympic organization. A counsel to the commission ultimately claimed that the IOC fostered an environment of corruption and called it, quote, an organization that is unaccountable, secretive, self-perpetuating, and oligarchical. It appeared that the IOC wasn't preventing members from taking bribes. While there were a few previous investigations into corruption in the past, they were conducted internally by the IOC itself. They claimed that they rarely found anything suspicious, but perhaps they were turning a blind eye. Critics of the Olympics say this attitude started at the top with Samaranch himself. He'd been elected as president of the International Olympic Committee in 1980. The Olympics he inherited were disorganized and on the edge of financial ruin. There simply wasn't enough money in the games. He played a pivotal role in the financial success of the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles. But that success brought accusations of impropriety. The media painted a vivid portrait of Samaranch's lavish spending during his presidential term. Rumors said he traveled to airports by chartered helicopter and demanded private jets and presidential suites wherever he went. Supposedly, Olympic bid cities had to provide a special caviar to his Olympic delegations. One SLOC member said, quote, It's better to be an IOC member than a king. There were rumors this lifestyle was financed by bribes and kickbacks. During a television rights negotiation, one IOC member was allegedly offered a million-dollar bribe. He immediately told Samaranch about it. The IOC president claimed he'd look into it, but never followed up. Another story came from a member of the Toronto Olympic Committee who claimed Samaranch personally approved their plan to pay an IOC member's rent. This clearly violated the committee's ethical guidelines, but Samaranch seemed unperturbed. Some former IOC members, like Robert Helmick, went to the press and claimed Samaranch knew the process was corrupt from the beginning. After the 1999 Salt Lake City scandal broke, he led a campaign calling for Samaranch's resignation. The IOC president refused to step down. He claimed that kicking out corrupt voters and adopting new guidelines was more than enough. Samaranch also said that the media's portrayal of his extravagant lifestyle was pure fantasy. He did finally step down as president in 2001 at the end of his term, but not before nominating his son, Juan Antonio Samaranch Jr., to the IOC. When critics stated that this act of nepotism would tarnish his reputation, Samaranch responded, quote, I don't care. It's difficult to tell how much Samaranch knew about the bribes between cities and IOC members. He told reporters that before Salt Lake City, he'd only heard unsubstantiated rumors. As soon as the facts about the SLOC became clear, he took immediate action. But there are first-person accounts of him ignoring accusations of corruption when he should have launched an internal investigation. Samaranch may not have encouraged this behavior, but it seems like he didn't try to stem it until the problems became too big to ignore. Samaranch's legacy was making the Olympics successful and profitable. It's likely that he knew about some of the gifts and payments, but didn't encourage it. 
he may have ignored it out of fear. Maybe he kept it hidden to preserve the Olympic image. If so, that's a far cry from encouraging it. I give this theory a 4 out of 10. On the other hand, I think it's clear Samaranch lived a lavish lifestyle. He liked that Olympic bid cities rolled out the red carpet for him. And based on his response to the nepotism charge involving his son, he may have had a loose definition of ethical. I give this theory a 6 out of 10. The modern Olympics have grown beyond what its 1896 founders ever imagined. The influx of money into the games have changed the stakes, leaving the IOC struggling to deal with the corruption this success has brought. But bid committees weren't the only players desperate to win. As the Olympics became an international phenomenon, the pressure on athletes to bring home the gold only increased. Next time, we'll examine claims that the Olympics' integrity faces a second, more dangerous existential threat performance-enhancing drugs. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back next Wednesday for another one-part episode on the Olympics. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Evan McGahee, with writing assistance by Lori Gottlieb and Mackenzie Moore, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Bradley Klein. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. <laughs> <laughs>